0: I'd like to personally thank Heidi Spots for making that tree look so good. Bless you. Speaking of lights, did you guys know that Cortland Avenue right out here uh, was at one point one of the premier places to go and see Christmas lights in Spokane? You know, a lot of you who have been around a while are like nodding your head. Yeah, I mean, it's not near as grand as it used to be, you know, even, even 10 years ago. But there's still some houses that go all out. Last. Yes? Okay. Perfect. You can remind me about the jar. There's a jar right here for Peterson and Daphne. Hold on to your money, <laughs> give it to me after. Okay. Where was I? Talking about lights. Right? Lights. Out in the foyer. Last week, I was talking to Ryan and Shelly Crone. We were talking about Christmas lights. And we were talking about Ryan needing to put the lights up on his house. And we were getting a kick out of it because it was about noon. And I said, hey, Ryan, if you hurry, you got about six hours before the snow is scheduled to fall. You can get them all up there, right? They moved pretty quick on the way out. Now, before it started to rain and snow last Sunday night, Abby and I took a walk around our neighborhood, and we were looking at the lights. It's quite pretty to go around and look, because some people, they go all out, right? They know what they want. They've got this vision in their mind. They, they want to light up the neighborhood. In fact, by the time we were done with our walk, it was dark, and it was cold, and there were still people out there putting up their lights on a Sunday night when it's dark and cold. I am thankful this year, my lights are already up. No, I did not leave them up since last Christmas. <laughs> my wife and kids put them up. Yes, it is wonderful to have thank you if I haven't thanked you yet. They put them up. Now, I, I like the looks of Christmas lights, but there's parts of me that dislike the process of putting them up. Okay, there's, there's ladders. There's tangled wire full of these little bulbs, and Inevitably, you end up laying face down on the downward slope of the roof to try and connect the lights to the hooks. That's not even the worst of it. The worst of it for me is the cold hands. It seems like as far back as I can remember, putting lights up on our own house, anytime we would do it, it would be brutal cold. Cold. Just brutal cold. And you can't put up itty-bitty Christmas lights on tiny nail hooks with big gloves that actually keep your hands warm, can you? No. So you have to go without gloves. And I'm not kidding you. Hours upon hours upon hours just to warm my fingers up after. I'm so glad my lights are already up. Thank you, guys. All that pain, all that suffering, just so people can walk around and look at your lights just so they can drive and follow certain blocks that have a lot of lights on there. It may seem like I'm complaining about lights. I'm not. I actually really like them, and I think that lights have the opportunity to transform a normal house into something great. You know, uh, something normal in the daylight. You come to nighttime, and the lights turn on, and all of a sudden, you have new life with that house. So I'm not opposed to lights. I actually like them. My question is, what lights will you be seeking this holiday season? What lights will you be following? Let's pray. God, as we open up your scripture this morning, uh, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your voice, not mine. God, we want to hear a story that you have been telling uh, for thousands of years and will continue to tell until the day you come back again. I pray you'd help us to hear that story well this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'll admit that I did not do any research to to find the origin of Christmas lights on houses in preparation for this message. But I'm, I'm fairly confident that I found the first example of Christmas lights in the Bible. And I'm fairly confident that that comes from the story that we're exploring in Advent in the Exodus. Let me show you what I mean. If you remember last week, our key text was Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 to 25. And that's when the Israelite people were crying out to God. They were groaning to God to send a deliverer. Send them somebody to set them free because they had been slaves in Egypt for roughly 430 years. Now their cries made their ways up to heaven to God's ears and he knew that it was time to act. God heard their cries, so he sent them a deliverer. Remember his name? Moses, right, the baby Moses who was supposed to be killed because the Pharaoh had sent out this decree that all babies under a certain age were supposed to be killed. Instead, Moses was saved through this miraculous float down the Nile River in a basket that was lined with tar. That just so happens that the same Pharaoh who ordered the hit on all the babies, his daughter found Moses He decided to raise him. Of course, after Moses was nursed by his mother. Great story. You should go and reread it. So Moses grew up, and he grew up in and around the palace. And one day he made a fatal error. He made a bad mistake, and he killed an Egyptian slave master. Now that ended his time in the palace. He had to run. He had to flee. And he fled to Midian, where he met and married his wife, where he became a sheep farmer. And for years upon years upon years, he herded sheep. In fact, it was while he was out one day herding sheep that he had this encounter with a burning bush. We know this story. God spoke through the bush and said, Moses, you're the person to go to Pharaoh and tell them, let my people go. Right? Yeah. But Moses says, I, I don't speak well. I don't like to speak in public. I stutter. So God had some great responses to that. And ultimately, he said, okay, fine, Moses, I'm going to let your brother go, Aaron, and he'll talk. But you guys will both go back to Egypt and you'll tell Pharaoh, let the people go. So, so they went back, and they told Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't listen. So God sent plagues. Without looking, who remembers the ninth plague? I'm going to give you a hint. It has to do with what I started the sermon with. It was the plague of Christmas lights. I knew one person would know it. Thank you, Susie. It was the plague of darkness. Exodus chapter 10 Verse 21 to 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, lift your hand toward heaven, and the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness so thick you can feel it. So Moses lifted his hand to the sky, and a deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. During all that time, the people could not see each other, and no one moved. But there was light as usual where the people of Israel lived. Darkness. A deep darkness. You've you've had to have experienced it. It's the kind where there's no glow from the city lights, no fire, no flashlight. You can't even see your hand in front of your face. This was a deep, a heavy darkness. Three days. So deep that people didn't even move. But did you catch what's going on with the Israelites? They had light as usual. Light for the people of God that I would say was one of the last things to happen before the Israelites were led to new life. Light from God. Now this plague, to me, starts an interesting progression with light in the story of Exodus. Light becomes a main character in the story. It only took one more plague before Pharaoh decided to let the Israelites go and worship the Lord in the desert. Because that's, that's what they had asked for. Moses had said, let us go, let us perform our sacrifices in the desert. That's Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. So Pharaoh let the people go, right? Not let them go free, but let them go to worship. Moses and the people, when they left, they walked right on out. We're going to talk more about it last or next week, excuse me. And when they left, they did not take an immediate straight route to the promised land. God actually took them on kind of a roundabout way. You see this in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 and 18. It says, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, If the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. How did the people know where to go? They followed the light. Two verses down, chapter 13, verse 20. The Israelites left Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove this pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Wouldn't that have been cool? I mean, when we travel today for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, we plug in our destination on the phone. We have GPS. We have MapQuest. Some of us still use the paper maps. Okay, I still do sometimes. These guys had a giant flashlight telling them where to go. They had a pillar of fire, didn't leave from in front of where they were going. Light that was leading them to life. I don't know how many days it took Pharaoh to realize that they weren't just out in the desert performing sacrifices, they were actually gone. But eventually he did realize that, and God had told Moses that he was going to lead them in a way that Pharaoh would recognize that they were not coming back. That's Exodus chapter 14. Now, when Pharaoh did realize this, he pursued them. So one day, the Israelites got up. They looked to the left. They saw the Red Sea. They looked to the right, and they saw Pharaoh's armies coming, chariots, charioteers. And what did they do? They cried out to Moses, why did you bring us out here to the desert to die? There was more than enough graves in Egypt. Tough crowd, right? So what did Moses do? Well, we know that God told him what to do. Pick up your staff, hold it out. The seas will part. So Moses did that, and the people walked across the parted sea, the Red Sea, in the middle of the day, right? It was the middle of the night. It was the middle of the night. And in the middle of the night, in the Egyptian desert, it's pretty dark. I love that picture. It is pretty dark. Except for that God-sized flashlight. Exodus chapter 14 verse 19 and following. It says then the angel of God who had been leading the people of Israel moved to the rear of the camp. The people or the, the pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. So the cloud settled between the Egyptian and the Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and the Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea. It's in the middle of the night now. Okay, He raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn... The Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making the chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for them, against Egypt. And when all the Israelites reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, Raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back to its usual place. I had always pictured them crossing in the middle of the day, but it wasn't. It was in the middle of the night. God protected his people. Protected from the Egyptians, protected from the night by a light, a pillar of fire, a light that was leading them to life. So the Israelites marched on. No more pursuit from the Egyptians. And they were on their way to Mount Sinai. In between the Red Sea and the Ten Commandments, walking down the, the hill with Moses, there was bitter water at Marah. There was manna and quail from heaven. There was water gushing from a rock. There was a visit from Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. There was a lot of walking, and there was even more complaining. This is all by the Israelites. When they get to Mount Sinai, God says, I'm going to reveal myself to you as a people. And do you know what he revealed himself as? A light by fire. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16 to 18 On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God and they all stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed in the sky like smoke from a brick kiln and the whole mountain shook violently. God was in the light. And I, I would argue that while on Mount Sinai, giving Moses the Ten Commandments, he was giving the Israelites instructions that would lead to life. So once again, you get light leading to life. After this Mount Sinai encounter, the God, in the light, led the Israelites through the desert, still with the pillar of fire and the cloud. Anytime the Israelites would move, anytime the pillar of fire would move, the Israelites would move. Anytime God wanted them to stop, he'd make the the pillar of fire stop. You can read this in Numbers chapter 9 on your own own later. The light over the tabernacle, a light guiding in the desert, a light leading to life. I told you I was convinced that I found the first Christmas lights in the Bible. We've talked a lot about light so far, light leading, light guiding, light protecting. We still haven't come to the place where I think there's Christmas lights. In order to do that, we must fast forward. And we fast forward to the instructions where God is instructing Moses to instruct the Israelites to celebrate certain annual festivals. Annual festivals like Passover and Unleavened Bread, celebration of first fruits, Feast of Weeks, festival of the trumpets, the day of atonement. And finally, he said, celebrate the festival of tabernacles, the festival of shelters. This is to be a seven-day festival where you will remember wandering around the desert, being guided by a light. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 41 and following. God told Moses, you must observe this festival to the Lord for seven days each year. It's a permanent law for you. And it must be observed in the appointed month from generation to generation. For seven days you must live outside in little shelters. All native-born Israelites must live in shelters. This will remind each new generation of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The festival of shelters or tabernacles or tents. The Hebrew word is sukkoth. Okay, remember that. From that day on, when God instructed that, the Israelites have been celebrating the festival of tents, the festival of shelters, even to this day. So fast forward from when God instructed that to the Gospel of Matthew. You heard the passage read earlier. We once again see a light that's guiding, a light that's directing. It's a star in the sky. And this time, it's directing wise men from the lands in the east to Jerusalem and then on to Bethlehem and then to the house where Jesus and Mary are. This star was again a light leading to new life. Now, fun fact. There's a lot of people that are smarter than me. That's not the fun fact. There's a lot of people with more degrees, with more uh, plaques on their walls that are really, really smart, that believe that Jesus was born in and around the festival of shelters. I hadn't heard that. But they trace the time of his death at the Passover, back roughly 33 years, another nine months or so, and they come to the conclusion that Jesus was born during this week of celebration. And they'll point to certain scriptures to say this is, this is evidence. One of those is John chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, made his dwelling is literally translated, he tabernacled. He tabernacled among us. He sheltered among us. He tented He pinched his tent among us. Now, in the first book of the Bible, when Jacob made a stable for his animals, when he made a stable for his animals, the word that was used was sukkoth. Remember that word? Many people believe that Jesus was born in a sukkoth because he was laid in a manger. So if we put the pieces together, Jesus, born in a stable, tabernacled among us. This could lead us to believe that he was born around the time of the festival of shelters. I don't want to try and prove or disprove that. I just thought it was kind of a cool story. But it gets better. It gets better, okay? We're going to fast forward again to the time of Jesus's adult life in the prime of his ministry and once again near a time in the festival that was instituted to help the people remember their time wandering in the desert being guided by a light. Stay with me because we're finally getting to the Christmas lights in the Bible. I credit uh, Whitworth Professor Terry McGonigal for first drawing my attention to this ceremony that was done during the Festival of Shelters, during the time that Jesus lived. It was a ceremony called the Ceremony of Illumination. Have you ever heard about it? Anybody? I found the description of it in the Jewish Mishnah. Okay? The Mishnah is the first written redaction of the Jewish oral tradition. So I'm going to read from the Mishnah. Maybe the first time uh, the Mishnah has been read in first church. I don't know. This is from the book called Sukkah, not Sukkoth, Sukkah, chapter 5, verse 2 through 4. I'll be reading in English, just in case you were wondering. It says, At the conclusion of the first day of the festival of Sukkot, the festival of shelters, they went down to the court of women, where, by constructing a raised balcony for the women, they had made a great enactment thereby preventing frivolity. There were golden menorahs, each having four golden bowls on top of them. There were four ladders leading to each menorah, and four boys from the young priests held jars of oil containing 120 log, which they poured into each one of the bowls. From the worn-out trousers of the priests and their belts, they fashioned wicks, and with these they would light the lamps. And since these menorah were 50 cubics high on top of the temple mount, there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that was not illuminated by the light of the Bet Hashuva. Did you catch all that? Let me explain. On the first day of the festival of shelters, in the part of the temple known as the Court of Women, there were four giant candelabras, four giant menorahs that were 75 feet high. Now on top of each one of these, there were four large bowls. They were filled with oil, and they would be lit on the evening of the first day of the festival of shelters. And every evening on, I believe, through that festival, they would be lit. And because Jerusalem and the temple were built on a hill, this lit up everything. You could see the light for miles upon miles upon miles. So picture it. Four giant candlesticks, each with four bowls, 16 bowls, giant's lights, 75 feet up in the air, probably in the four corners of the court of women. Lights that would remind the people during this festival of the times when God led them through the desert by this pillar of fire. Are you getting the picture? I mean, if you're not picturing it here, just look up at the screen, okay? That's an artist's rendering of that. That looks cool. What a glorious sight that must have been. Lights just lining the walls of the temple, celebrating the Exodus, celebrating the people being guided through the desert by a light. There's Advent in the Exodus. And look, it's the first Christmas lights. Yeah? It's the first Christmas lights. I say again, cool story. But it gets even better. It gets even better. Keep this picture in your mind, okay? 16 big lights, mental image as we move forward. Remember last week I told you that Jesus felt the family pressure of holidays, and that his brothers were, were harassing him to go and, and to the celebration and prove that he was who he said he was. Do you remember what celebration it was? John chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. Jump down to verse 37 and 38, same chapter. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the Scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. So picture this. The temple area where Jesus is teaching, crowded, shoulder to shoulder with people. Everybody came out for the last day of the party. It's the last big hurrah. And this water statement by Jesus caused great discussion and great debate there amongst the crowd. There were even authorities that were there to arrest him, but they didn't. Now, where was Jesus in the temple when he was teaching, when he said that? Do we know? We do. Chapter 8 of John, verse 20, says this. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury. But he was not yet arrested because his time had not yet come. Now, I looked at a detailed map of the temple, During that time, and we couldn't get it big enough for you guys to see, so you'll just have to trust me on this. The treasury is located immediately next to the court of women. So as the people are standing, what are they standing near? When they look up, what do they see? They see giant candelabras with bowls of oil. And if it's evening on that last day, they see light all over the place, which makes Jesus' next statement all the more powerful. He says this, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. There in the temple court with nothing but that in view, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He inserts himself in the story that the people had been celebrating, saying to them, look, 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 look at what you've been celebrating. Look at what you've been remembering. I'm that light. He says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, much like you're celebrating your ancestors followed a light in the middle of the desert. I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you will no longer walk in darkness, much like the Egyptians did for three days on that plague of darkness. If you follow me, you will no longer walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus is the light that leads to life. We've been fast-forwarding a lot. I want to rewind about 520 years before Jesus' birth. The prophet Zechariah was speaking about a day when the Lord would return He would wipe out his enemies and he would rule in Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 16 says this, In the end, the enemies of Jerusalem who survive the plague will go up to Jerusalem each year to worship the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, and to celebrate the festival of shelters. And just a few verses earlier, Zechariah said this, Then the Lord my God will come, and all his holy ones with him. And on that day, the sources of light will no longer shine. Yet there will be continuous day. Only the Lord knows how this could happen. There will be no normal day and night, for at evening time, it will still be light. In the final book of the Bible, the Apostle John writes of the visions he sees. And God showed him a vision of the new Jerusalem. John says this I saw no temple in that city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The Lamb is the light. Light guiding in the desert. Light from candles reminding the people of those years of wandering. Light in the new Jerusalem. Jesus saying, I am the light. What lights are we going to be amazed at this holiday season? What lights are we going to follow? Will it be the lights on the houses or in neighborhoods that are impressive? Or will we choose to follow the light of the world? Will that light that we celebrate being born, perhaps, during the festival of shelters, if we are following that light, are we willing to go wherever that light goes? Are we willing to put utter and complete trust in the light of the world to guide us? Would we be so bold to follow even without a pillar of fire? Are we willing to take Jesus at his word that he truly is the light of the world? We live in dark times. I don't think anybody would argue with that. And the prophet Isaiah said this. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. What is it that we are celebrating this Advent season? For me, as brilliant as the houses may be, I want to make sure I am following the light of the world. Because there is Advent in the Exodus, will you join me on this journey? Let's pray, God. It's easy to get caught up in the busyness of the season. It's easy to get caught up in the beauty of things like decorated trees and and lights on the houses. It's easy to forget what we really celebrate in this month. We're celebrating you. Last week we talked about crying out for a return of Jesus. God, this week, may we follow the light, the light of the world. May Jesus be our guide. No matter the things that this Christmas, this holiday season hold for us, may you show us the path you want us to take. May you guard and protect us as we go. And may we be confident in following you as the light. Help us to do that. Because we can't do it without Jesus. The Lamb is the light. We pray this in his name. Amen. Please stand with us.